Thank you so much. And is it ever uh, good to be here? It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for the honor, the invite. My understanding is I have 20 minutes. And so we're going to jump right out of the gate. Is that OK with you? And just sort of fly along. People in uh, Cedarview only dream of 20 minutes. Uh, <laughs> The text is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the first two verses. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. Let's just pray. Open our hearts, put ears on our hearts to hear what you would say, uh, protect and, and uh, guard us from weakness and error on the part of the speaker, and uh, let our lives be rooted and grounded in your word and the glory of the cross of Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Such a short text, and yet it raises so many questions. Paul kind of rehearses his first overtures with the gospel at Corinth, here in this hub of business and culture known for Greek theater and so many uh, endeavors where people seem to have so much on the go and their minds occupied with so many things. What would Paul say when he got there? How would he get their interest? How would he make the saving work of Christ, the cross of Christ, how would he make that sparkle in their minds? I decided, he says, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Well, surely that's a mistake. These people were hardly ready for such a blunt approach. Why would Paul, why would Paul make such a decision? Was there nothing else in the whole counsel of God that he could share? He had at least a whole Old Testament to work with and a growing oral tradition around the person of Christ, the Sermon on the Mount? Why wouldn't, he, why wouldn't he branch out? Why wouldn't he say other things? Was Paul just narrow in his understanding? Was he maybe just a little bit small-minded or contracted? Well, it doesn't look like it. The interesting thing in the text is Paul says that his narrow focus wasn't an accident. He said, I, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I take that to mean he could have shared something else, but chose not to. He thought it through. He calculated what his approach would be, what he'd want to say. He could have broadened his approach. He could have appealed more to their tastes. He could have bridged the gap between their present interests and his full heart with the gospel in a thousand different ways. Why didn't he contextualize a little bit more? Certainly Paul's approach isn't widely recommended today. In his great little book, you maybe have read it, Christianity Without Christ or Christless Christianity, Michael Horton cites this direct quotation of an ad that was brought to his door, a little flyer advertising a new church that was opening in his neighborhood, and it reads thusly. Hi, neighbor. Don't you hate that? 
At last, a new church for those who have given up on church, like another one in the long line of churches that have arisen for those who have given up on church. Let's face it. Many people aren't active in church these days. Why? Too often the sermons are boring and they don't relate to daily life. Maybe churches seem more interested in your wallet than in you. Members are unfriendly to visitors. You wonder about the quality of nursery care for your little ones. The pamphlet continues. Do you think attending church should be fun? God help us. Well, we've got good news for you. Valley Church is a new church designed to meet your needs, underlined. At Valley Church, you'll meet new friends, get to know your neighbors, enjoy exciting music with a contemporary flavor. That's, that's fine. Hear positive, practical messages which uplift you each week, like how to feel good about yourself, how to overcome depression, how to have a full and successful life, learning how to handle money without having it handle you, the secrets to successful family living, how to overcome stress. So join us. Why not get a lift instead of a letdown this Sunday? Now that surely would be the approach to take. I mean, don't we all want a lift instead of a letdown? It just seems a no-brainer that one wonders how Paul could have missed it by so much. I thought it through. I see where you're at in Corinth. I thought about my approach, and I decided, here's where I planted. Here's where I came down. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And, and the mystery is deepened even more when we remember that Paul knew the message of the cross wasn't very appealing to the worldly mind. 1 Corinthians 1.23, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Or Galatians 5.11, if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. He's saying, if, if I want to preach a market-savvy message, if I want to avoid a message that leads to ridicule and persecution, all I have to do is avoid the cross of Christ, because... The cross of Christ is the only message that, that knocks the legs out from under the confidence in innate human potential and goodness. Only the cross exposes the real needs of people, not just the therapeutic needs of people, but the spiritual needs of people. Only the cross exposes people to needs other than the ones the advertisers and the therapists tell them they have. So why did Paul choose this route first? That's scary. This is point number one, but we'll, we'll hurry. The heart of the Christian message isn't immediately appealing, and it isn't meant to be. There are some truths that are so important that if you don't get them right, you can't get anything else right either. And this is one of those truths. It's, it's, like, it's like buttoning up your coat. If you get the first button in the wrong hole, you're going to be wrong all the way down. This is one of those truths. 
if the gospel message we bring to the world is, how can I say it? If it's instantly inviting, it's almost certain proof that we've got the message wrong. And here's the point where it's easy to get confused. There's certainly nothing unappealing about Jesus Christ. I mean, everywhere he went, people loved him. The common people heard him gladly. It was just the self-promoting religious and political leaders who found him offensive. But everybody else loved Jesus. And they should have loved him. He was gracious. He was loving. He was kind. He was miracle-working. He was healing on that point, we're, I think, all agreed. But the person of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus are not the gospel of Jesus. A lot of people don't get that. Not by a long shot are those things the gospel of Jesus. And the message we're bringing to our culture, like the message Paul brought to Corinth, it isn't a message about what Jesus was like, or how many people Jesus healed, or Jesus' ethical instructions. The message we bring in the cross isn't, isn't a what would Jesus do message. No, when the Bible speaks specifically about the mission of Jesus, the cross of Jesus, and the message of the church... The Bible makes it clear that the niceness of Jesus isn't the issue. It's the cross of Jesus that's the issue. And right out of the gate, we're told there's going to be problems with that message. I was thinking back to one of my favorite accounts of the, the birth of Jesus. It's in Luke chapter 2. I like the story of old Simeon. In verses 34 and 35, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So, so right out of the gate, this child, Jesus, God the Son, the Messiah and Redeemer, he was, according to godly old Simeon, appointed. Such a strong word that the text uses. Appointed for something specific. And God the Father was the one who appointed him for it, so this is an appointment that sticks. This is the appointment that matters. The divine son would be appointed for the fall and the rising of many. Now note the order. The falling comes first. There's, there's no rising until there's first this falling. Jesus doesn't just take me up. First he brings me down and then he takes me up. That's the order of his working. And to make it all even more clear. Simeon spells it out further. The sun is also appointed for a sign that is opposed. Think about it. This is, this is what the prophet says will mark the assignment of Jesus and his death on the cross. The whole design, the whole setup, is that it would be opposed. Again, such a strong word. The message of Jesus 
crucified. Not his healings, not his miracles, not the golden rule, not the Beatitudes, but the cross of Christ. It's going to meet with opposition, and, and it's designed, appointed to meet with opposition. So the first reaction to the gospel is proud opposition, just in the same way that the first reaction of the alcoholic is to deny that he is one. The, the cross is designed to excite that response, to bring human pride to the surface, human self-reliance to the surface. And the cross, right off the bat, it cuts the legs out from under that like no other religion on earth. Old John Newton got it right. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." It creates the fear first, and then it brings the relief. That's one reason why Paul decided to know nothing but Christ crucified. There's one other I want to just look at quickly. How am I doing? Couple minutes. Only the message of the cross gives a foundation for hope for the perpetual faithful love of God in face of my future sins. There's a lot of different ways we know the goodness of God. Our physical health, the fact that you're sitting here and your heart keeps beating and your lungs keep working, you can't generate that by yourself. God does that. And the warmth of the sunshine, and the blessing of the seasons, and the rain that falls to the earth. All these things, tokens of the goodness of God. But none of them taken separately or even added all together comes close to revealing the depths of God's love for sinful creatures like us. We talk so much about the cross. We wear it in gold around our necks that we're in danger of forgetting the depth of humiliation to which the Savior surrendered himself. Now, here's the question. Could there not have been some other way for God to forgive? And if God had chosen to do it some other way, if he could have chosen to do it some other way, why did he specifically choose the death of his son on the cross? Well, we'll never know if God could have done it another way. This is the way he chose to do it. But part of the reason is spelled out for us, and it's really important. It's in Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And I'd suggest to you that those words move us beyond the realm of just forgiveness. Whether or not God could have found some other way for redemption, we'll never know. But the reason he chose the cross of Christ is clear. And the logic Paul spells out there is this, that if God had chosen some lesser path, if redemption could have been at a smaller cost, even if forgiveness could have been just divinely decreed, we would have forever lost what Paul said 
was the greatest guarantee of God's undying, unconditional, future love and grace for bad people. Look, look at those words again. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And the argument rests on the fact that nothing will ever, in terms of receiving God's grace, nothing will ever be needed in my life that will cost God more than he's already invested in the death of his son. Supposing God had found some other way of providing forgiveness without the cross, what proof would I have that at some point down the road some further help and grace and provision might be needed by me that would somehow move me beyond what God was prepared to give. We sang that first chorus. I've never sung it before, and I, and I don't remember the exact words, but there's a line in there about all your promises are true. Promises about the future, your future, what God's going to do in your life in the future. Now, how do you know the promises are true? I mean, it's nice sentiment. Are we just kind of, all his promises are true? Like, do we have something to stand on? Paul would say, yes. The reason you know that whatever, whatever, whatever grace is needed in your life for any situation, however badly you fall and however badly you fail, you will never be uh, left with an unresponsive God. How do you know? Because anything else that God's going to do for you will be slight compared to what he's already given in Christ on the cross. It's guaranteed. I don't know about you, but my life is such that I rely on that. Like I live in that. I rejoice in that. In all the power of God's transcendent, almighty, divine imagination, he could find nothing more costly to offer for my pardon than the death of his son. And he did it that way, he planned it that way, he accomplished that way, not only to provide forgiveness of past sins, but assurance for future ones. So, if I'm a sinner, however slick your program is or isn't, whatever your church does well or doesn't do well, if I'm a sinner, then by all means, don't, don't just entertain me. Tell me about the cross of Christ. Uh, that's what I have to have. The, please don't take this the wrong way. The bracelet we need to be wearing right now is not what would Jesus do. The bracelet we all need to be wearing is, what has Jesus done? Let's pray. It puts new meaning on the old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. We're so glad, Father, that what you've accomplished for us in redemption not only provides forgiveness for all our sins, 
but it provides assurance that you who have done the greatest work of love will certainly never cease or fail to do lesser ones. You are such a good God. And I pray, Father, that in all of the... Give us the wisdom to let all the fads just roll by and just to know with certainty Christ and him crucified. Deepen our devotion to Jesus, I pray. Now, in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, abide with you all until Jesus comes again. And, oh, we can't wait for the day when you come again, Lord Jesus. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. God bless you.